and welcome to Book Chatter, a monthly book club podcast presented by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and with me are Denise. Hi. Devin. Hello. And Josie. Hello. To discuss our latest pick, Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh. And spoiler alert, today we'll be discussing solutions and other problems in its entirety, so there will be spoilers in this podcast. If you haven't finished reading it yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. And let's jump in with a little info about the author and her work. Ellie Brosh is the author of two number one New York Times bestsellers, Solutions and Other Problems and Hyperbole and a Half which was named the 2013 Goodreads Choice Award winner for Best Humor Book of the Year. Brosh has also given herself many prestigious awards, including Fanciest Horse Drawing and Most Likely to Succeed. Solutions and Other Problems won the 2021 Alex Award, an award established by the Margaret Alexander Edwards Trust. This award was established to recognize each year 10 outstanding adult books that provide teenagers with an introduction to adult literature. Novelists included it in their recommended reads list for 2020 in the Best Own Voices Biography and Memoir category. And Goodreads describes it this way. Ali Brosh returns with a collection of comedic, autobiographical, and illustrated essays. Solutions and Other Problems includes humorous stories from Ali Brosh's childhood, the adventures of her very bad animals, merciless dissection of her own character flaws, incisive essays on grief, loneliness, and powerlessness, as well as reflections on the absurdity of modern life. And so let's throw some stars at this book. Denise, would you like to start us off? Thanks, Barb. I really enjoyed the simplicity of the drawings. It was very easy to see what was going on at just at first glance. I love the whimsical nature. I love the artistic style. It wasn't, um, you know, maybe fine art, but it really, I think, fit the, the nature of the book. Um, there's a very childlike feel through the book. And whether the author's talking about her actual childhood experiences and thoughts or her adult experiences that have a strong feel of childlike rhetoric in her trains of thought. Um, I felt like there was a, a series, if not chronological, of somewhat linear streams of consciousness that seemed to be like somewhere between problem solving and wondered musings. Um, she seems really open and honest within the themes of the book. And I love the humor, even when, you know, it, it might be unintended for the situation. It made it not be so kind of dark and serious, but also not be um, just humor for the sake of humor. So it was a great combination of hysterically relatable and poignant. So I would give it five stars. Great. Devin, how about you? Yeah, so graphic novels um, are not a genre that I normally gravitate to, um, although I really do like memoirs, so um, I was anxious to read this one. Um, I've only read one other graphic novel, and I did enjoy that one. The opening story of this title was hilarious, and I was immediately interested. Um, The cartoons, like Denise said, are cartoonish, obviously, 
um, which does make it harder for me to relate the story to a real person, but I think that's just a personal issue. Uh, the size of the print format is huge. Um, it is can be intimidating, but don't let that um, intimidate you because after I flipped through it, I realized it was not going to be um, that long of a read, and it wasn't. probably took me two or three days if I really sat down. Mm-hmm. Um, it did get a bit hard to follow, though, as I went through it. Um, so I'm going to give it three stars. Josie, how about you? All right. Um, yes, and I agree with you, Devin. It's it's quite a uh, brick, so don't drop it on your kitten because she'll <laughs> be squished. Um, so I'm generally not a big fan of memoirs. Um, there are, of course, exceptions, but I just think of them often as sort of nasal gazing. Nasal? Nasal. Yeah. Navel gazing. There we go. Um, Wrong way. I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed some of the stories Brush told, um, mostly those with her animals uh, and about times when she was young, you know, the, the getting in the bucket. That was indeed funny. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> I think this probably works really well as a blog um, instead of a, a book to me. Um, and she, as a person myself who believes, you know, that there's a point to life, her constant refrain of life is pointless and it means nothing, that made it hard for me to identify with her. Um, but I, you know, I do hope that she's in a better place now and, uh, that she has, uh, become friends with herself as she talks about at the end of the book. Um, so, you know, I appreciate her honesty and what she was writing about, but I'm going to give it three stars as well. Okay. Uh, I would just jump right in and say that her cartoony drawing style was instantly recognizable. If you've spent any time online, you've probably seen a meme made out of one of her drawings, which goes, clean all the things. And her writing style uh, definitely got my attention. It's funny in an offbeat way. I love how she herself describes uh, the tone of this book. She calls it, quote, a wildlife documentary about one really weird animal, which was written and directed by the animal, close quote. Brush is certainly self-deprecating here, uh, brutally honest about her struggles with depression and anxiety. Um, and as a result, you know, the book gives you a roller coaster ride between hysterically funny and, and really just diving into deep issues. So I laughed, I cried on the ride, and I learned a little bit more about how I read a graphic novel as well. So I'll give it five big stars. Uh, Going on to discussion questions, our first one has to do with the genre of graphic novels. So my question is, how do you read a graphic novel? Do you look at the words and images together, panel by panel? Do you read all the text on the page and then go back to look at the pictures? Or look at the pictures first and then go back and read the words? There's no right way to read a graphic novel. Many readers go through them differently. And uh, I'll just jump in first. I've read a fair number of graphic novels lately. It's kind of part of the librarian gig to spend time with different genres, especially ones you're not familiar with, and, and get a feel for them. And what I discovered reading through various graphic novels is that the way I read them shifts according to the design of that particular book. And with this one, I found myself reading the words first and then going back and really spending time reading the images. 
um, we, we've all kind of commented on her, her cartoony kind of crude, primitive, quirky style of art. Um, and yes, it, it is. Uh, but she just speaks volumes through her drawings and it, it really, it'll reward the effort if you go back and spend time with them. Devin, how about you? Yeah. Um, we, we discussed this earlier and I kind of just assumed that I look at the pictures and the words at the same time. And that was my, you know, my initial answer. But I sat back and observed myself while I was reading this later on. And I realized that I look at the entire page first and then I go back to read the words frame by frame. So I guess I look at the pictures first, kind of see what is happening on the page. And then I go back and connect the words to the pictures, um, which was not how I thought, you know, I was oh, going to read a graphic yeah. novel, but I'm, 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 I'm happy that I learned something new about myself. Um, you know, some people say that graphic novels take away from your full experience of using your own imagination, but, you know, looking back again, I think that it actually intensifies, you know, your imagination. You get a little bit, but you can really just snowball what you're looking at um, and create your own story in your mind, you know, with, with goes along with the words. So, yeah, what a, I just want to say that's a great question, Barb, because um, I never thought about it that, that intently. So, yeah, neat. And Josie, your thoughts? Um, I think it's a great question, too. Um, and I, I, I think, um, and I haven't gone back and sort of tried to reprocess this, but I, I think I read them together. Um, one thing I did note about uh, a graphic novel is that I found myself having to take more frequent breaks um, because it was just a lot of input, you know, it was, it was reading the input, the words, and it was the visual input. And whereas with a regular print book, um, I could probably read, you know, for, for 30 minutes and, or an hour, um, and then take a break. This one, I had to take a break every chapter, I think, cause I just felt so kind of, I don't want to say exhausted, but a little spent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And Denise. I read this book and I hadn't really considered until the question came up. Um, I just delved in and I found when I went back and thought about it, or um, I also read some snippets like to my family so we could all get a, a good laugh. And it also is different if you're going to read it out loud. Um, but I, I guess I read the books with the words and photos together for the most part, but I noticed that um, when there was more text between the images, I read that first, if there was like an entire paragraph or maybe two, there wasn't a lot of that, um, but I would read that first and then focus on the illustrations after, and, and then I would often go back and look at the pictures a little longer just to kind of digest the information a little differently. Um, but obviously if there were images that had large letters, you know, big words or all caps, I would gravitate toward that first. I mean, that's just how people tend to read what's, you know, what your eye catches first. I like what Josie said about having to take breaks because I felt like I needed to take breaks too, but, but for a bit different reason. I think there was a lot going on here, a lot of layers. It involves more of the senses, I think, than just reading words on a page. Kind of takes you back to when you're a kid and you're, or you're reading to a child, reading a picture book. So I took breaks, I think, just to kind of 
digest it and consider. And I think going from start to finish in one setting and then just closing the book and moving on would be, uh, I would have missed a lot. And as someone who, um, yes, strangely, I does identify with a lot of what's going on in here. <laughs> I'm a, I'm an odd creature as well. And my daughter was just ate this up too. She's like, that's me. I'm like, no, I know, but don't get in any buckets, please. She's 13. I don't think she'd fit. <laughs> but yeah, it took, it took more effort, but I didn't mind because I think I got a lot out of it. Great. Next question. Expressions or gestures are important to how we understand characters in graphic novels. Could you share an example of an expression or movement uh, that you observe that you think shows a significant character trait in this book? Josie, would you start us off? I will. I think she draws herself in ways that express her traits. So she's got big bug eyes, and she's got a very wide mouth, and she's got that sort of fin that's her ponytail. I just felt like she often looked sort of stunned and surprised. Um, and I also noticed that she draws herself and young people, like her little sister or the little kid she babysits, in this same sort of bug-eyed manner. Um, but then the adults in the book, like her ex-husband and her parents and other adults, um, they look more like people. They have more human-looking faces. So I wonder, you know, and she draws herself uh, with this bug-eyed face when she's little and when she's supposed to be an adult. So I'm, try I'm wondering what she's trying to say about herself. You know, does she feel childish? Does she feel vulnerable? You know, what is she? She's trying to express something there that, that she draws herself in that way as a child. That is a great observation, Josie, and I agree with you 100%. Um, I didn't know much about this author before reading this book, and I went to look her up to get caught up um, on who she was exactly. Uh, after her first book, which was extremely popular, she apparently disappeared from the internet for a while. Um, you know, and you guys know, come to find out, she was really struggling with some major personal issues. Um, depression, suicide of her sister, breakdown of her marriage, um, which she does depict somewhat in this story. I think anyone experiencing these um, situations, if asked to draw themselves, would create something similar to represent them. But um, yeah, that was a great observation. She was very childlike throughout the entire book, even when she was an adult. Um, and she did look kind of scared and surprised and kind of lost in the world. So yeah, I think that was great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I listened to an interview with Allie Brosh where she says she deliberately depicts herself in her graphic novels uh, in a way that portrays her sense of alienation, that, that she feels like she just doesn't fit in this world, that she's different from everyone else. And like you, Josie, I also noticed she drew her sister Katie in a very similar style. And I wondered if that was her effort to show the readers how different and how alienated uh, Katie felt as well, uh, just feeling out of place in the world. I would agree with that, Barb. I think she, I feel like she may still see herself as a kid. Um, and, and maybe we all do um, in some way or another. But I feel like her more so as as vulnerable and less sure of how and where she fits in with the world around her. Um and maybe she's just letting more of that come through 
than a lot of us normally would. But she even portrays like her ex-husband and her boyfriend in a more adult style in her drawings, even though they are um, her age and they're kind of her, her um, equal in that sense. Um, they're at the same point in their life. But the way she draws the neighbor girl, oh, yeah. you, <laughs> you get the intensity. <laughs> like, uh, wow, I think in one or two images, you get a pretty good snapshot of this child even before you read the words, um, which which is the beauty, I think, of, of so many of these drawings. Um, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Um, and I don't think you would have gotten the character of the neighbor girl as fully without that image. But I also noticed with Allie portraying herself, kind of juxtaposed to everyone else, she, uh, they seem to be kind of standing up straight and normally... But I got this, I really felt like she was kind of hunched or bending forward in a lot of those images. Um, and what you said, you know, about her um, feeling alienated, feelings of alienation, that's where I kind of saw it um, as much as in the words. Um, it, it's probably, you know, it is the defensive or unsure, but I also thought maybe she's drawing it as so herself um, not as sort of humanoid looking. So people can't say, Oh, that doesn't look like you. Cause how many of us has drawn a picture as a kid? You know, draw yourself portrait and bring it into class. And everyone's like, that doesn't look like you. So that could be it too. If I just make it outrageous that I am this, you know, this just this animal kind of creature, no one can criticize that. Mm, exactly. Next question has to do with, um, Graphic novels and movies. Many elements of graphic novels are similar to what you'd see in a movie. A graphic novel creator can be the director in deciding what each panel and page shows. Think about a panel or set of panels that stood out to you. What are you seeing there? What are you not seeing? Can you describe the camera angle or the distance from the subject of the panel? Do you hear any sound effects? And why do you think Allie Brosh made those choices? Devin, can you start us off on this one? Sure. Um, I love the first few chapters when she was a little girl. Um, there are definitely a few panels in the story where she's getting in the bucket, which were obviously, you know, if you were thinking of it as a movie, they were taken from the author's visual or the actor's visual perspective of, as a child. You know, she's looking up at her parents' faces. Um, the world is, everything's bigger. She's definitely um, being shown things through the author or actor's eyes. You know, it's obvious she's a child. So I thought that was um, really interesting. You know, there's lots of action, lots of color going on in the first, first few chapters, which of course makes me think of a movie. Um, also, there was another really interesting chapter where the dog is bringing a horse oh, yes. manure. And <laughs> yeah, oh God. And at the, the big reveal at the end, um, the beginning of the story is in color. And then the big reveal where you figure out it's the dog is in black and white, which I thought was just genius oh, yeah. on her part because you're just like, you're so, you're so grossed out. And then when you finally figure out what's going on, it's very black and white. It's just like this stupid dog <laughs> is bringing in horse manure. Um, it really was very fitting those colors to the emotions that I was feeling when I was reading that part of the story. So I am, I can definitely see how it's very similar to a movie. Um, you know, like you said, it's just missing the, the sound in the background, the music in the background, but you know, that's where your imagination comes and in. If, if I could add to that, I, um, 
I've seen some movies where the um, there will be kind of an inner inner monologue or amusing, um, usually in comedies, but the character will kind of look at the camera and start talking, you know, like talking to the audience or talking to themselves, but you get that front-facing angle. And I actually, when I went back and looked, I noticed that there's a lot of times where she's thinking or she's um, wants to say something she doesn't actually say, um, or when she's very up in her head, you'll see these panels where it's very um, her almost looking at you or the person looking at you. Um, and, and I thought that was really interesting. There's not even, even in some of the dialogue, it's more like the di- you're included in the dialogue. And so that caught me too. You get a lot of sort of eye contact from these characters, so to speak, even though obviously they're not seeing you. Yeah. On top of being a director, graphic novel creators are also editors. The action often happens in the gutters, those spaces between each panel. And sometimes big things happen in the time it takes to turn the page. Can you think of a specific sequence of panels or a page turn that you think is dramatic or exciting? Why do you think Brosh chose that sequence of panels or that page turn to emphasize that moment? And Denise, I think you had one that you discovered. I noticed that particularly there's a, there's a place, it's page 196 and 197 in chapter 10. She is has been talking about, she's had these um, kind of lighter musings. She's talking about becoming ill, um, which is serious, but she's working through it with um, maybe a little more objectivity. And, but, but she's also working through some worry about a possible cancer diagnosis. And she's going through that mentally, preparing for kind of one option or the other. Um, and in the gutter between 196 and 197, you're told previously that serious, you know, serious subjects are coming, but a, a lot on 196, she's, she's at that kind of built up to maybe I have cancer, maybe I don't, I don't know, got a plan for both. And then, um, she imagines herself being, you know, interviewed and across that into 197, it's this abrupt transition from this worry and planning for her future, um, whether it's with cancer, without cancer, into like just sinking into depression. And it's just this panel of talking about, I just basically laid in bed. I canceled holidays. I, you know, and then even from there, between that and the bottom half of that page, the next two sentences, Brosh abruptly but simply states that her sisters died. Two sentences. She was going all of these things with her and then this jump to this kind of pronouncement. Um, and without the images there, it would seem really unnecessarily disjointed. But the images really um, kind of glue that that them together and help the reader see the stages of grieving and the layers. She's grieving for herself. She's grieving for the loss of her family member and all kinds of things. I I agree, Denise. I found that part really well done. Um, and I felt sort of the picture where um, she's in her bed. Um, and I think it's after she got home from the hospital and the bed's gigantic. And you see her and she's, she looks so tiny. And then you see that she's got her, 
her laptop open and you know you can imagine she's doom scrolling um i think that picture says it's so much more poignantly than she if she, if she has said um i sat in my bed and doom scrolled and i was so afraid you know the 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 image really pushes it home yeah absolutely next question has to do with the whole idea of writing a memoir with cartoons. What do you see are, are the possible pros and cons here? Devin, do you want to start us off on this one? Sure. Okay. Pros and cons. I guess the pro, the main pro would be that graphic memoirs are, or can be easier to read for someone who is experiencing things or emotions similar to the author's. Um, obviously, graphic memoir genre includes books that incorporate all types of subjects. Um, but for this discussion, I'm referring to ones that focus on, you know, darker topics. Basically, it doesn't take a lot out of a person to read this book, in my opinion. Maybe it does. I don't know. But there, there are definitely some funny and more lighthearted parts along with the darker ones. Um, like Josie said, it's a little easier to put down and pick back up if you need a break. Um, you're not sucked into just words only, so it seems a little lighthearted, whether it is or not. Um, you know, this particular author um, used cartoon images and humor to portray some some dark topics, um, which, as I was reading earlier, there is a very co common coping, coping mechanism called the sad clown paradox, which kind of takes you down into a rabbit hole if you start reading about that. Um, basically, it's basically when someone who has experienced trauma or is experiencing trauma in real time, you know, we talked about this with the Dolly Parton podcast, oh, they yeah. use humor to diffuse yes. a situation mm -hmm. or release the tension. Um, the sound, the sad clown paradox, when I was reading it, referred more to like stand-up comedians, um, like Robin Williams and Jim Carrey, um, you know, that these, these incredibly funny people, you know, have a dark understory and they use this humor to to deal with that so um you know she's this author you know ali doesn't certainly has a well-timed sense of humor in my opinion um so that's really the main pro for me is that these books can r relate to a reader um the darker topics but it's easier to put down and pick up and it doesn't seem so heavy if you're reading like a you know, a thick academic book. Um, you know, I don't really see very many cons except maybe just personal preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one con that, that came to mind for me is um, some people's perception of the, the genre. They, they may dismiss out of hand the graphic novel as simply a comic book. It's, it's uh, in their minds, it might be uh, fluffy, uh, written mostly to entertain, that it's a genre for kids, not adults, um, and that it can't handle serious issues in a meaningful way. Just doesn't have the gravitas, I guess you'd say. But some people, uh, one I, I spoke to about this, actually thought graphic in the title, graphic novel, somehow related to violent or sexually explicit material within the novel. Interesting. And, and so that was an instant, yeah, it was an instant turnoff. It's, that's not to their reading taste. And so they, they weren't going to go there, uh, without a little explanation of the term graphic novel. That's, that's really interesting because I know that, um, there definitely is a segment of the graphic novel genre that is oh, that yes. way. Certainly. Um, and, and I, you know, being someone who doesn't necessarily gravitate toward um, 
those kinds of novels anyway that have a lot of um, really explicit violence or anything. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, had kind of been hesitant in that way too, um, just because I'd rather read other things, um, more adventure, more maybe, um, you know, light mystery type things. But, um, but then when I was introduced to some of these, like even like mouse and, and this one I was like, Oh, there's like an entire gamut of, of what this is. It's really just how the story, how the, the content is expressed. I definitely, I think a, a pro is really definitely how the emotion, how the, the ideas can be more easily portrayed because you're adding a visual element. Um, it's something we get as a child and we're encouraged to read those picture books. And I think it really kind of goes back to those, for me, positive memories of, and positive training in reading and looking. I, I guess maybe with this, a con could be, um, the pages are thicker because of, probably because of the artwork. And so as mentioned before, it does have a weight to it. Literally. Um, yeah. So if you're looking to hold it up, yeah, it does. Do yourself I mean, an injury. In, in lots yeah. of ways. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're lying in bed holding it or, you know, that kind of thing, it can be a, a, a little tiring in that sense. So <laughs> you drop it on your face. Yeah. Black yes. eye. And it also doesn't um, translate as well into mm. an audiobook. Yes. For that exactly. reason. <laughs> we should weigh this book. Well, I, I have to chime in with my one of my favorite stories here that, that really spoke to me. And it had a lot to do with what you were just talking about, Denise, that sometimes um, characters in this book, uh, because they're so young, uh, cannot express themselves through words. And uh, the, the this story that spoke to me was when Allie was uh, babysitting a toddler who, unbeknownst to Allie, had developed some kind of irrational uh, fear of dandelions, and it's not it's, irrational. I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, it was number two on Allie's list of. They're like things. heads, <laughs> exploding heads. Anyway, <laughs> and oh, and there were just 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 mentioning too. This this is a good example of that idea we talked about earlier about how sometimes a very significant portion of the action happens in the gutter. She's talking about the the uh, the whole setup for this story where she's babysitting a child and everything's going fine. They're outside, they're in a stroller, they're walking along. And then she says, and then this happened. And you turn the page and it's just lush with illustrations for several pages. There's not a lot of conversation. There's just this panicked toddler looking out of the stroller and, and, and just freaking out, literally, because the field around them is just plastered with dandelions and, and she's having a panic. I mean, she's, she's, it looks like a panic attack. And, uh, you know, it, it just, oh God, it first brought up, first of all, some, some real, disaster stories from my own experiences as a babysitter trying to be rational with an irrational being. It's like trying to explain, these are harmless. What are you crying about? And, and it, it, it just, it does not work. It, the, the crying goes on and finally you just, like she did, you, you just panic yourself and you start doing probably really stupid things 
maybe even uh, things that you know might permanently damage the kid, at least in your mind. And uh, yeah, that's where Ellie kind of takes it. She imagines that her solution to this particular problem created another problem in this poor woman's life when she grows older and you get that marvelous picture of the woman clinging from the ceiling like like Spider-Man <laughs> and her family's trying to talk her down. It's okay, Penelope, uh, we're going to bring in the towels now. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I just... Oh, you can definitely feel the anxiety and the panic on those pages. I mean, that came through. I felt elevated <laughs> like blood pressure as I was reading through that. I was like, this poor girl. Yes. And then poor author. That was trauma oh for both of them. Yes. Yes. I've also had some yes. babysitting traumas. <laughs> I never babysat as a, as a young person. Oh, that um, was smart. <laughs> I was not interested at all. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the, there was a number of stories that I really enjoyed. Um, like I said, mostly the animal stories. But then the one that I just was like, oh, yeah, that's why we hate technology, um, was chapter 13. And it starts out as her, she got this new stereo in her car, and it's it's overly helpful. You know, she just wants to listen to some music, and it's like, do you want to do this? How about this? Let's call this person, and, and, and basically taking over. Um, so she, there's a picture on 278, and she's sitting on the toilet with her phone, um, and the phone's trying to suggest all these things, and, and let's go over here, and let's do this. And, and her frustration is that um, the human brain isn't accustomed to navigating a world where it's hard to tell the difference between objects and animals. Um, for almost all of human history, that has been easy. If it's trying to interact with you, it's an animal. Um, end of story. Maybe there was a tiny bit of gray area around plants, but it's not like rocks were jumping out from behind the trees to tell cavemen what kind of crackers are on sale. Um, and I was like, oh my God, yes. It, you're interacting with this, this inanimate object. It's not alive, but you're interacting with it like it's alive. Like, you know, you, you tell it to shut up. You say, I don't care. Be quiet. Do what I want you to do. Damn it. And, it's frustrating and it's everywhere. Yes. It's trying to be so helpful and you just want it to shut the hell up. And yes. I just love this chapter. It was so funny. It was so spot on. It gave me mm -hmm. words for feelings I've been having. <laughs> mm, excellent. <laughs> I think, you know, Josie, we, maybe we subconsciously think about it, but when, when you really, it dawns on you, it's like that, you know, I was today old when I realized, you know, kind of the ridiculousness of us doing that, but also the the depth of the impact it has. And you just, when you have the awareness that I'm doing this, but also like why it, it really, um, how strange that kind of is, even though it's become so normal for us. And one of the, for me, it, I, um, I found that in chapter six, where they have the the birthday party, and she starts talking about pets, um, she is um, she's giving a lot of perspectives, like talking about how they see things, flipping it around. Because in in contrast, these are living things, but they don't speak to us. And they're not necessarily trying to sell us something or convince us of something, but they spend a lot of time communicating 
And, and so many times we don't get it. And this is something that's huge for me because I'm super fascinated by, um, dog psychology and dog behavior, um, also training, but they're not the same thing. And, you know, with, with helping my 4-H kids learn how to train their dogs and my own kids and the things I do with mine, um, the way that the animals look at the people or look at, again, that looking forward, like they're seeing you um, as the reader and the absurdity to them of like, why am I dressed up like this? Why are you doing that? Why are you, why am I wearing a hat? Why are you being strange? But then it goes, keeps going back to this acceptance of it. Just, okay. <laughs> like they don't judge. They're just like, I guess this is how it is. <laughs> the time that she spent, a lot of the things that she says really resonated with me because they, it's something, it's things that I've, I've read about, you know, how dogs kind of just see it as non-emotional and as her being very emotional in this book. And the party that they're at is very emotional, even though it's it's positive. Um, for them, it's got to be very bizarre to be around so much emotion and so many strange things um, that they would never encounter in the wild. They, they would never be f- um, faced with or experiencing normally. Um, I think she gets what um, psychology, you know, animal behaviorists would um, would agree is what they're most likely thinking. But again. The pictures add so much. We'll take a brief break here and be right back to continue our discussion of Ali Brosh's solutions and other problems. Book Chatter is sponsored by the Friends of the Longmont Public Library. Hey, podcast listeners. We know you come to the Longmont Library for books and movies, but did you know you could walk out with a whole experience in a bag? You could experience bird watching with a set of binoculars, relive the 1980s through music and film classics, or binge the Longmire series. You can travel to far-flung places like Australia or even space without ever leaving your house. Each bag has all you need to dive deeper into a favorite subject or destination. DVD movies, music CDs, cookbooks, games, cocktail ideas, and other small books about the subject. We also have experience bags for the young ones in our lives. The bags check out for two weeks and can be found in the library lobby. For a full list of our offerings, check out our website and look under Bags and Kits. Now, back to Book Chatter. This book is, uh, as we've said several times, using humor to talk about difficult or painful topics. And I thought I'd just jump in with a little observation about the title. Um... It's, it's significant. Uh, uh, Ali Brosh in an interview for time.com said, and I quote, so you know that thing where you have a problem and in trying to solve the problem, you generate a brand new type of problem. It's sort of about that. How the solutions themselves become the next generation of problems because no solution is perfect. I would say Brush uh, definitely doesn't shy away from painful topics here, um, but she does mingle them with goofy tales from her childhood, as we've mentioned before, and hilarious takes on modern inanities like that car stereo you were talking about, uh, Josie, that won't stop until it's certain that I'm adequately interacted with, all my needs have been met, forcibly if necessary. Um and and she also has said that the emotional roller coaster ride that this book is 
is her attempt to reflect real life. Um, she did an in interview about the book with NPR and uh, said, there's no convenient structure to life and to the stories that are unfolding in real time. And we can try to package them in these convenient ways where everything makes perfect sense and this act leads to this act. But I don't think I really wanted to do it that way. I wanted it to be a little more of a chaotic but real reflection of how these things actually felt. That's an interesting quote. Um, it helps me to make more sense out of the book and what the way it was structured and how random it was. Yeah, I agree with you, Josie. It was really random. Um, you know, the chapters that actually told a story, I really liked and I thought were well done and I was very interested in and wanted yeah. more of those. Um, the random switching around to like what she daydreams about and the neighbor who hammers was just, it was weird and distracting to me. Um, and I actually really do like memoirs. That is one of my top three favorite oh, genres. Um, but the, those chapters just felt unnecessary and bothersome. Um, and I actually found out that I do like graphic novels, which was a revela revelation to me. Um, it's hilarious that some people think graphic means uh, violent. I mean, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, a fan of the, I'm a fan of the Grateful Dead. And when, people, when I tell people that, they're like, don't let the, the name put you on. That's so like, scary music. I'm yeah. like, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. no, it's not. They just have a kind of a weird name that... Yeah, um, but I definitely need some structure and storyline to follow. Yeah, no, they're a great band. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Josie. You and I, I think, are are the same on this on this title. Well, I would have to to say, um, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but as someone who is weird and distracted, I really got it because um, my brain kind of works like that. And I'm sorry if that is frightening to you. But I mean, I can so go from trying to solve a problem, trying to, you know, figure out what's for dinner or, you know, how I'm going to organize something at work to, you know, to immediately like, oh, I should probably go and rake the leaves in the yard. And um, I remember the other day, my daughter said, da, da, da. And I'm so stressed out about, I mean, it's very, it's squirrel moment after squirrel moment. And some of them are very intense and some of them have nothing to do with what I just thought about. Um, I think, yeah, but you're keeping those to yourself. You know, you're not writing about them, but I think it shows more That's of kind her of the difference. Yeah. But it shows more of her. I mean, I think yeah. you get her highs and lows more because you get that there is so much going on in her head. So I think it, it illustrates, um, what it's like to have anxiety, what it's like to have, you know, have, um, depression or whatever else it is that just pulls your brain in so many directions. At the same time, you're also trying to, um, deal with very serious things, deal with illness and, and deal with death and deal with trying to um, be a normal adult. <laughs> and that, that really can get in the way. Um, you're right, though. I, I don't let you guys in on a lot of that. You're welcomed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> Although maybe I should share more. Uh, yes. I also, but I, I love that that she, to me, portrays it as a, I'm still working on it. I'm still figuring out the basics about myself. I'm still, it's it's a, a fluid and ongoing process for, for her. And she wants to relate to the world like, um, like a kid, but then she's faced with really serious things. And maybe before she's ready to, yes. um, I think 
even in the in the, those like unrelated chapters like the neighbor with the hammer it's like her brain has this need to solve the problem because to her it's big it's really annoying sometimes it's that little splinter that mm. you just can't get out kind of sure. thing but she recognizes thankfully that um, there's limitations legal and otherwise um mm. still needs the solution not willing to go to jail or hurt anyone <laughs> and i i th- i think there's also um, it comes out of a need to find closure, maybe for that, but maybe also closure for other things that she can't oh, or yeah. solutions to something else. So this problem is something she maybe can work on when there's other things she can't, mm. which can relate back to the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just as a side note, my husband and I went to uh, Paris in 2017 and saw this amazing exhibition there in uh the Holocaust Memorial Museum, and it was titled The Holocaust in Comics, and talk about a subject that would be difficult and painful to convey through cartoons. Um, but uh, the, this exhibit traced how artists, writers have uh, attempted, and, and not always successfully, to deal with something so catastrophic as uh, the attempted extermination of the Jews by Hitler. And um, we saw lots of examples of of artists who got it right and also not so good. Um, But uh, I was intrigued by the the very first uh, example in the exhibit was of an eyewitness account uh, drawn by an unknown cartoonist. uh, Well, he was not known as a cartoonist. His name is Horst Rosenthal. And he wrote Mickey Mouse in the Gers camp. This was a, a concentration camp in France. And it was published in 1942, as he says, without permission of Walt Disney. But his his Mickey Mouse is very uh, spot on. He he draws it magnificently, and his watercolors are very engaging, just like a cartoon. But uh, he's discussing the horrors of a concentration camp in these amazing little watercolors. Um, and uh, walking through the exhibit, you you got information about various attempts at, at explaining uh, or dealing with the subject of the extermination of the Jews. And, and pretty quickly, you figure out that the topic was off-limits in comic books and elsewhere as, as the war progressed. Um, it was okay to uh, uh, depict Captain America dodging Nazi bullets to punch Hitler in the face, but uh, even when American superheroes went uh, in the comics to fight in World War II. And even as they're depicted walking into an extermination camp, the comic book writers never mentioned there were Jews in those camps. Um, none of the heroes ever came to set the Jewish people free. And, and uh, you know, the exhibit talks about how anti-Semitism was, was rife in Europe uh, at that time period and in the United States. And you can see, you know, several decades of, of cartoons, graphic novels, manga, all dancing very carefully around the topic um, of the Holocaust. And then finally, uh, you know, the whole exhibit takes a, a kind of a hinge, kind of a turn uh, in 1980 with Art Spiegelman's magnificent work, uh, Mouse. Uh, it was a groundbreaking novel. Uh, it was the first comic book to take on the Holocaust as its main topic, and it also uh, talks deeply about the artist's experience dealing with his father and 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 how uh, his father and his mother's experiences 
in the death camps uh, shaped his relationship with them. And uh, he, Spiegelman won a Pulitzer for Mouse in 1992. And that work was, was pivotal in changing people's perceptions of comic books. And, and, you know, yes, you get the, you very much conclude after reading Mouse that this genre can tackle serious subjects. And, um, I've got a, a link I want to share with people. If you're interested in seeing some of these examples from, uh, the Shoah Memorial, uh, we can include the link so you can take a little more of a look. Thank you, Denise, Devin, and Josie, for a great discussion of Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us today. For our May podcast, we've chosen Yellow Bird, Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country by Sierra Crane Murdoch. Print copies are available from the library, and ebook and e-audiobook versions are available online from the Front Range downloadable library. And we'd love to hear from you, so read the book and join the conversation. Submit your comments and questions online by voicemail or email. You'll find details on how to do this in our program notes. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe to Book Chatter. And see you in May for our next episode of Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.